Good morning. Happy Easter. Hey, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. We are incredibly glad that you'd spend some of the weekend with us. And let me just say, first and foremost, hey, welcome to Blend and Amped and on Roan County and our Bearden campus. Hey, we're glad you're all here this weekend. We're all celebrating as one church together. It's a good thing to be together on Easter Sunday morning. Hey, I want to tell you something. There's things that happen in life, things that happen sometimes in life, good or bad, that leave us asking this question or wondering, is this real? Did this just really happen? You know what I'm talking about? Things that take place and you go, is this real? Hey, one of the things that happened recently in this last year or so, in fact, if you'd have told me a year ago Easter, that this Easter, Easter Sunday weekend, that I would be the grandpa of two little girls, Isabel and Rigby. In fact, the medical profession said, probably not going to happen, no chance. And yet God said, hey, here's, here's Isabel and Rigby. Take a look. Little, little Rigby born just a week ago yesterday. Man, it's amazing to be a grandparent. People go, well, how does it feel to be a grandpa? How does it feel to be the gramps? And I got to tell you, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I don't know. It feels, it's real, but it doesn't feel real yet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around our girls, my little girls, having little girls. It's wild. It takes a while for things to sink in sometimes. We've been around two rivers for a little while. About a week or two ago, we were challenged to spend some time in Psalm 118. And so there was a sunny day a few weeks ago. Remember all that rain we had? Well, there was a sunny day a few weeks ago, and I was just sitting in my Jeep out in the parking lot, and I was just listening to and reading through Psalm 118. And it talked about over and over the steadfast love of the Lord is forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And I was blown away. I was overcome with how good God is, how amazing God is. And, and, and I got so trapped and locked in these patterns of thinking about how great and good God is that I went to this really quick place that I often go to and started to doubt. This can't be real. God can't be this good. He can't be this kind. He can't be this gracious. In fact, my mind went to this place of doubt. And, and I had to wrap my head around, like, is this real? And so it's where we end up sometimes on, on a weekend like this, when we come into an Easter Sunday morning and we're celebrating the resurrection. When I think back on my life, some 50 plus years of walking with Jesus, I, I look back and I think about the little 10-year-old, 9 or 10-year-old boy who gave his life to Christ. And I think about if you had told me in 1969, 1970, that, that one day I'd be on a platform and on a stage talking about the resurrected Christ, I don't think I would have believed it would have happened. And here's the truth about that. I'm not a perfect guy, but God's done an amazing work in my life, transformed me in a powerful and profound way. The resurrection is real. Jesus is real. I'm here. If no one else is to testify, I'm here to testify. This is true. This is the reality of who we are and who we belong to. It's the person of Jesus. He's real, and his resurrection is real. It really took place. In fact, the, the thought and the idea for the weekend is this. The resurrection is real. And it compels us to follow Jesus in everyday life. The resurrection is real, and it compels you and I to follow Jesus in everyday life. Easter is more than a holiday for us. It's more than a holiday. It means so much more for those of us who've given our heart to Jesus. It, it's, it's the reality that we have a place for all of eternity with Christ, and it has everything to do with the nitty-gritty everyday details of how we live our lives. This is why the authors of the Bible wanted to be sure that we got it that we understood how significant and important it is. And the first thing I want you to wrap your heart and your mind around this morning is there's historical evidence that the resurrection took place. 
Yes, there's outside sources outside the Bible who have recorded accounts of Jesus post-death, post-resurrection. But, but we believe, as the people of God, the scriptures itself are evidence and demonstrate the truth of the resurrection being a real deal. It really took place and it really happened. Aaron read in uh, chapter 28 the first 10 verses this morning. And the, the, the women, Mary and Mary, went grieving to the tomb that Easter Sunday morning. Of course, they didn't know it was called Easter Sunday morning yet, but they went to the tomb that morning to, to, to actually grieve and to figure out what, was, what had just taken place. Is all this happening? Is this real? And they encounter uh, an angel. And the angel says, are you looking for the risen Christ? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. He says, go tell his disciples. And so they're on their way to tell the disciples. And who do they encounter? They have a real encounter with the risen Christ, Jesus himself. They have an experience with Jesus as they're going about their way. And Jesus says to them, go and tell my brothers to meet me up in the Galilee. And they bow down and they worship him. The story continues in chapter 28, picking up in verse 11. If you've got a smartphone or a Bible, pick it out. We're going to be in, pick it up. We're going to be in uh, Matthew 28 for our time this weekend. And it says this, Matthew records this, starting in verse 11. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Folks, Mary and Mary experienced the risen Christ. The guards experienced the risen Christ. There's evidence over and over throughout the scriptures of the reality of the resurrection. The first is this. These two women went to the grave to see what was going on with Jesus. And they experienced and encountered the living Christ. Their encounters... Their encounter encouraged the believers and the followers of Christ to believe all that was taking place was true. And the angel said to them, go quickly and tell the disciples that he's alive. And while en route, they were en route to tell the disciples and Jesus appeared to them. Jesus appeared to these two women. Now I got to tell you, the evidence of the resurrection sits with these two women first and foremost. Four different historians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all from all over the Roman Empire at the time they wrote their gospel um, recounts of, of what had taken place in the life of Christ. All of them in written, and in all their writings, they, they, all, they all concur that the first people that Jesus appeared to were, were, were Mary and Mary, these two women. And I got to tell you, if you're, if you're creating a belief system that you want the world to believe, and you want them to understand that your, your leader, your world leader, was raised from the dead. In this time and in this era, you wouldn't have picked women to be the ambassadors of that story. You wouldn't have picked two women of no notoriety. And yet, all four gospel writers point to the, the Marys as the people who first experienced Jesus and declared his resurrection. Second, the testimony of the Roman guards. The guards themselves experienced the risen Christ. The story, we, we just read it. The story tells us that, hey, they were, they were in the garden. They were guarding the tomb. And they experienced an earthquake, much like an earthquake that had taken place just a couple days earlier when Jesus was crucified. An earthquake took place. And on top of the stone rolled away from the tomb sat an angel. And the angel declared to them the truth about who Jesus was. And it says they, they were frozen. It was like they were scared to death. They went into this paralytic state where, where, where they, they couldn't even express and understand what had taken place. They, they were locked down. The, the, the guards themselves demonstrated 
that the risen Christ had taken place, that this had all happened. And, and the response of the religious leaders is the third layer. It's, there's layers and layers of, of defense and argument and, and evidence that this resurrection of Christ had taken place. The response of the religious leaders. As soon as the guards, it says the guards left, some left and went on their way, some went to the religious leaders and said, hey, this is what we've just experienced. And what do the religious leaders do almost immediately? They go into, hey, we've got to cover this thing up. You wouldn't have to cover something up if it hadn't taken place. The response of the religious leaders is further evidence. Fourth, there's a payoff to the cover-up story. They, they paid the guards off. They said, we're going to give you a sum of money to tell this lie. And here's the lie. They, they, they created this lie. Hey, tell people, if they ask you about the risen Christ, that you all fell asleep and they came and stole him away in the night. I mean, at first glance, you think, well, that's viable. That's a decent lie. If you're going to come up with a lie, that's pretty good. And yet, here's, here's the absurdity of the lie. You'd have to believe, if you believe this lie, that all the guards fell asleep at the same time. Now, there were many guards. I don't know how many, but some went to the chief priest, some went on their way. So there's more than several guards. So you'd have to believe, if you believe this lie, they all fell asleep at the same time. Anybody with, been with a group of people where everybody falls asleep at the same time? It's absurd then you'd also have to believe that these guards didn't take their job seriously. These were Roman guards. They took their job quite seriously. In fact, they were instructed, hey, here's your job for the night. No one comes in and out of this tomb. You're in charge. Make sure nothing un unordinary takes place and happens. You'd have to believe that they all fell asleep and, and violated the mandate that was given to them that would be punishable by death if they didn't do the job they were called to do. You might get away with putting your head down on your desk at work and your boss not firing you. These guys would have been killed. So you'd have to believe that. And then you'd have to believe that not only did they all fall asleep, nobody cared about the violation of their mandate, but you'd have to believe that they all fell asleep and stayed asleep while this massive stone had been rolled away and Jesus was stolen from the grave. You'd have to believe all of that. The absurdity of the lie itself is further evidence, another layer of the the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And if you need more evidence, there's an empty tomb. All the things that had transpired leading up to the Passion Week and through the Passion Week had transpired and happened all in the city of Jerusalem, all in, on the streets of Jerusalem, in the buildings around Jerusalem. And Jesus was buried just outside the wall. If, if you wanted evidence that Jesus wasn't where he's supposed to be, you'd just have to swing by. It was in close proximity. You'd have to go by and look at the empty tomb. The empty tomb is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Just as Jesus said he would come back, he came back. They may have looked for a corpse. No corpse was found. Why? Because he's risen. Risen indeed. In fact, Jesus had told his disciples over and over throughout his time and his ministry of them, Kind of covert, but then he went over in, in the week leading up to his, his passion, in the week leading up to the cross and the resurrection, he got real specific. Back in Matthew chapter 16, he says to his disciples, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It's pretty direct. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you're, hindrance, you're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus had declared, This is what's going to take place, and it took place. Finally, Jesus' appearance post-resurrection 
are evidence on top of evidence, layers on top of layers that what he said he would do, he did. He came back from the dead. He appeared to so many people following his resurrection. Obviously, we know the two women. We, we know that he appeared to the guards. He also appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. He appeared to 10 disciples who were hiding together in Luke 24 and John 20. He appeared to all the remaining disciples in Mark chapter 16 and John 20. Seven disciples, including Peter, who had denied him just three times over in John 21. He appeared to the 11 disciples here that we see in Matthew 28 in the Galilee. He appeared to as many as 500 followers as Paul recounts the story back, recounts the story back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And though there are layers and layers of evidence, of experiences, of, of folks who had actually seen the risen Christ, here's what's beautiful about Matthew's gospel. Matthew's really succinct. If you look at all the gospels in comparison, Matthew moves immediately from the resurrection to Christ to what we know now as, and we call the Great Commission. He, he moves quickly from, from Jesus being raised from the dead to, to then, what is our mandate now as we follow Christ? And all these other stories are there and all throughout the Gospels. Matthew moves pretty quickly. And in verse 16 of chapter 8, he says this. Now the eleven disciples, they went into Galilee to a mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. These are the guys, the 11 who had been with Jesus for his ministry years. These are the guys who were with Jesus in this week of passion as Jesus moved to the cross and then from the grave. These are the men that, 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 God, that Jesus had invested in. And it says right here, I hope you catch this, that they were experiencing Jesus and they thought it was too good to be true. This can't be real. It says they doubted. Some of them doubted. So if you've got doubts, if, if you get blown away by the goodness and the grace of God, the forgiveness of Jesus, and you find yourself in a space of doubt, folks, we're in good company. It, it feels like it's too good to be true because it's an amazing gift. It's an amazing offering for us. Disciples themselves move from doubt into belief and into faith. And so we too are a people who must move from doubt to a place of belief and into faith. The resurrection has spiritual implications for those of us who believe and those who don't. It has spiritual implications for those of us who've said yes to Jesus and those who have not said yes to Jesus. In fact, that Jesus, the fact that Jesus returned from the grave, just as he said he would, verifies his identity and the truth of his message. He is who he said he is. He is exactly who he said he is. He said to, to his followers, he said, I'm the gate. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. The fact that Jesus made this statement and then went to the grave and came out of the grave says it's verified, it's solidified. Jesus rescued and saved us. He says to the, the religious leaders at that, in that day, he says, hey, tear this temple down. Rip it up, tear it down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they thought he was referring to the actual physical temple. And what he was saying to them was, no, tear my physical body down. Kill this body, and I will bring it back in three days. A powerful declaration. Back in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was declaring himself to be the Son of God. And they said, we want a sign. Prove to us you are who you say you are. And here's Jesus' response. Then some of the Pharisees and the scribes answered him, saying, teacher, 
We wish to see a sign from you. But he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, you want a sign? Here it is. Here's the sign that demonstrates everything I did on the cross is solidified and made right. It's because I told you I'd come back from the grave, and I did. It's his resurrection. The work Jesus did on Friday, I heard a preacher years ago, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? It was Friday, it was dark, but Sunday's coming. It was Friday. Our sin was nailed to a cross. My sin, your sin, my shame, your shame. What I've done, who I've been, was nailed to the cross. Jesus took it all on himself, took the weight of the world, all the weight of our sin. I can't carry my own sin, let alone the weight of all the sin of the world. Jesus said, I'm carrying it all. And he nailed it to the cross so that you and I would have a, a, a redemption and a, and a rescue that we couldn't think, hope, or imagine could possibly be true. And, and the reality of what took place on the cross took place because Jesus said, tear this temple down and I'm coming back in three days. The resurrection declared everything Jesus did on Friday was true on Sunday. Folks, that's what we celebrate. That's, what we, that's why we're here. If, if you're a believer and you know Jesus Christ or you're visiting with somebody and they seem a little giddy because it's Easter Sunday, we're giddy on Easter Sunday because this is an amazing truth. We celebrate this every Sunday, but this Sunday above all others, he has risen. He's risen indeed, and the fact that Jesus is risen says my sin, my shame, all that stuff in my life has been taken care of and deemed done. It's finished. God did this work in our lives to move us to a new and a fresh place. The historical reality of the resurrection leaves every last one of us with this question, and we've all had to answer it, and you're all needing to answer it if you haven't answered it yet. What do you do? What do I do with the person of Jesus? What do I do with this real Jesus? this real Jesus and his real resurrection? We all have to answer that question. And if you've never answered that question, a non-answer is a no. A non-answer is a no. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you haven't come to the Father through Jesus, you're outside the faith. You're outside of what God longs for you to have. God's calling us. He's beckoning us into a relationship with him. So let me speak to those of you here Those of you here who have not yet chosen to follow Jesus, folks, this is the invitation. Jesus is saying, I've come to rescue you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. God has come that we might have life and life to the full. That's the offer. That's the invitation for us. And I don't know if you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, I've heard this before. Mark, seriously, this isn't for me. You don't know my story. Don't assume I don't know your story. We've all got stories. We've all got stuff that's happened to us. Every last one of us. Things have happened to us. Things have been done to us. We've done things we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of. There's things in this world that, that I wish I could go back and undo, and I'm sure you wish you could go back and undo. There's this lostness, there's this desperation that all of us at some point have wrestled with and grasped and grappled with and and come to a conclusion, a decision. I can't do this anymore on my own. There's stuff in this world, brokenness, hardship, hurt that's that's invaded my life and invaded your life. And you're probably wondering, like, what does God have to do with this? 
And yet that searching, that yearning within you that there's got to be more, there's got to be more. This can't be all there is to life. That's the very Spirit of God drawing you into a relationship with you. I'm not inviting you to consider Christ today. Jesus is inviting you to consider himself today. He's inviting you to follow him. And if you've never made that decision, made that choice to follow Jesus, folks, let me just tell you flat up, this is the day. This is the moment. This is the hour. This is your decision time. What you do with the person of Jesus has everything to do with how you'll spend eternity and the rest of your living days. And I know for a fact that there's a handful of you here this weekend. There's this gut-wrenching yearning in you like, man, there's got to be more. This can't be all there is. Even those of us who've experienced some great successes in life and some joys about this world, it still doesn't satisfy. At the end of the day, you go, yeah, it's not enough. And if we're really being honest, there's a part of us that wrestles with this, all of us. I'm not enough. There's just not enough. And Jesus is here to offer you and say to you, I'm enough. Jesus is speaking to you right now and saying, I'm enough. I'm enough. I want to meet you. I want you to trade your life for mine. I want, you to, I want to invite you into followership. I want you to follow me and have a life that's full and that's rich. That's the offer that God offers each and every one of us. So I'm speaking directly to you. If you've never made that decision, folks, this is your moment. This is the hour for you. And how do I start a relationship with Jesus? I hope you're asking that question in your mind and your heart right now. That, that thing inside you right now, that gut kind of pulling thing that's happening, that's the Spirit of God going, hey, what, what I'm telling you in the Word is true. And, he, and He's inviting you to pray. And so prayer for us is just communication with God. It starts with a, a, a conversation with God. I know I, I was taught to pray as a kid with my head bowed my eyes shut. You? That's how you pray. You, you, you bow your head and you close your eyes. And to be honest with you, that still works for me because I get distracted pretty easily. Squirrel, yeah, right? And, and so for me to, to, to bow my head and to close my eyes, oftentimes that's how I like to pray. And yet what I've discovered and, and the reality is I don't have to just meet God with my head bowed and my eyes shut. I can walk behind a lawnmower and pray my heart out. I can run along a street and pray my heart out. You can pray with your eyes wide open. If you're pushing a lawnmower or running, you should have your eyes wide open. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray with our eyes wide open. And, and I'm inviting you, if you know in your gut right now, God's been moving and stirring in me. This isn't the first time, Mark, I've heard this story. I know that today's the day I want to make a decision to trade my life for Jesus. I want to invite you to pray right now, looking at me, eyes wide open, eyes wide open, head up. And if this is your prayer, I invite you to repeat it in your mind and your heart as we pray this together. I've been trying to make this life work, and it's not. I have a lifetime of stuff, a lifetime of stuff that I need to let go of. I need something, someone outside of me. And I believe it's you, Jesus. Thank you for inviting me into a relationship with you. I believe you love me. Forgive me, and as best I know how in this moment, I trade my life for yours. Help me. Show me what it looks like to follow you. Now, I will ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you so much for the, the men and women and young people who have actually prayed that prayer right now. Would you do a work in them right now that only you can do? 
You, you promise us that when we give our heart to you, you come and reside with us. And so, Holy Spirit, as you're taking up residence, even in this moment, within the very lives of people who've prayed this prayer, would you solidify the decision that they've made, that the trade that they've made for their life for yours? God, would you do a work only you can do in them right now? Would you seal the deal? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen? Amen. If you've just, if you've just committed your heart to Jesus, welcome to the family. Welcome to the fold. Yeah, absolutely. And let me just tell you this up front. We're not a perfect family or a perfect fold, but we're going to love you as best we know how. And so the one thing I got to implore you to do if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you got to tell somebody else. You got to let somebody else know that you've made this decision. You weren't meant to walk this journey all by yourself. It's never, it was never the plan. In fact, Tell us. We'd love to know. In, in the bulletin, if you look at the back of your bulletin, there's a little piece of paper, a little perforated part of your bulletin. It's an information card. Would you please just give us either your phone number or your email address and check that box. Hey, I, I prayed to trade my life for Jesus' today. I prayed to receive Jesus today. I promise you this. I make a promise to you. We won't show up at your door. promise you. And we're not going to pester you, but we want to make resources available to you so you know that you don't have to walk this journey all by yourself. As a church, we just finished a 12-week series in the book of Ephesians. And here's what we know that we know that we know. We're not meant to walk this path alone. This journey, this walk of faith, this journey of following Jesus has always been meant to be a we thing. We're doing this thing together. And so we'd love to come alongside you and walk along with you. And for all of you at some point in your life who've made that decision already, let, let me encourage you to engage in an exercise with me. I've been a Christian for some 50-plus years I can't believe how long I've lived and walked with Jesus. It's been amazing to me to think of how good and kind God's been in my life. And as I've walked with Jesus over this long period of time, I shudder to think where I would be today if it weren't for Jesus. Where would I be today if it weren't for Jesus? We're going to do a little exercise. It's a metaphor I go to all the time. I love it. When I was a little boy, I couldn't find anybody to play with in the neighborhood, so I went to a local play playground right there in our neighborhood, and they had this massive swing set. And I would swing for hours, just swing for hours. Remember when you could swing so high? It looked like your feet, you're literally going to land in the clouds. Your feet were so high, it's all you could see. I would swing so high on that thing, it was probably dangerous. The tautness of the, the chain would like loosen up and jerk myself back, right? And so what I did learn about swings is this. <clears throat> to swing forward, you got to swing back. You can't just sit on a swing and, and swing forward. It, it's I think literally impossible. So the backswing's incredibly important for the forward motion. And so the backswing actually increases the thrill of the ride and the intensity of all that's taken place. And so here's the exercise we're going to practice for just a moment or two. I'm inviting you to swing back. Swing back. Remember that moment in time, that chapter in your life when you gave your heart to Jesus. Do you remember that? Let me give you a moment to think about it. Think about it. Think about that time in your life when you said yes, when you traded your life for his. Some of you go, I know the hour. I know the moment. I remember the smells. I remember this, this, and this. Others of you, others of you say, it was over a period or a chapter. In my, okay, whatever it is for you, a chapter, a moment, whatever it is, get that in your mind. I got mine. You got yours? Now, let me ask you this question. Think back. Now, if you'd never said yes to Jesus, where do you think you'd be right now today? Where do you think your life would have ended up? We probably wouldn't be here, right? 
I thought about this for a little while this past week, and I literally got sick to my stomach. I know who I am at the core of my being. I, I know where my sins would lead me. I know where my sins were leading me. I know where my shame was taking me. How good is God? And here's what I want to remind you. I feel like I, I got to implore you to think about this. There are people right now who are where you were. Right now, there are people who are where you were in the darkness, in the futility of their thinking, and what they felt was entrapment in their own world, in their own decisions, in their own life. There are people right now who are where you were. And the call on, on my life, the call on our lives as people, as followers of Jesus, is that we would invite people to consider the good news of who Jesus is. It's deliberate on Matthew's part to move right from the resurrection into the Great Commission. It's deliberate on his part. He goes, we've been made followers of Jesus by the, the truth of the gospel, by the profound reality of the resurrection. And now as followers of Jesus, we're called to make followers of Jesus. That's the work of the church. That's our work as a part of the church. And so the reality of the resurrection inspires us to follow Jesus and invite others on the journey. That, that's the truth of what we've experienced. We've been invited to follow Jesus, and, and included in that invitation is an invitation to invite others on the journey to go with us, that we'd make the gospel known to those in our world. All four gospel writers connect the resurrection to the role of our responsibility now as a part of being followers of Jesus. And, and Jesus is speaking on this place in Galilee. When they gathered in Galilee, he's speaking to the 11 disciples. These 11 guys who'd been hanging with him, they, you know, they're one down at this point, but there were 11 disciples, and he's giving them this mandate, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I've taught you. And what he's saying to them, I'm, I'm, I'm going to establish our church. The church is going to take place, and he's, he's, he's inviting these guys to be what well, will well, very surely be the leaders of, of the very church that God's going to use to reach the masses and millions over centuries of time, which is exactly what's taking place. And I believe it's significant to mention, again, who it is specifically that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to these 11 guys. Hey, these guys who've walked and talked with him along life's narrow way. They've seen and experienced up close and personal the person of Jesus. And not only have they experienced that, they too have walked through this last week. Remember? It was just a couple days before his resurrection, they were nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. In fact, they'd scattered. When Jesus needed these guys the most, when he was in his time of desperation, they fell asleep in the garden. And then the last image that Jesus has of them is probably the back of their heads as they were moving and, and going for cover. And yet, a beautiful picture back to the Marys when Jesus when Jesus encountered the Marys leaving the tomb. Here's what he says to them. Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Folks, you got you to gotta hunker down into this, this verse. He says, go tell who? Go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers, those who I love dearly. That, that's an endearing term. His first comment to them after they've abandoned him, left him high and dry, wasn't like, shame, shame, you left me. He goes, go tell my brothers. Go tell those I deeply love. God knew their weaknesses. God knew their frailties. God knew that Peter, Peter would deny him three times. God knew that John was had a hot temper. God knew that Thomas would doubt. And I'm sure each of the other disciples, though they're not mentioned here, what their weaknesses were, they all had weaknesses. They all had flaws. They all fled. 
And his response to them is, go tell my brothers, those guys I love, those guys who I'm going to entrust the very work and the mission of the, of the kingdom of God, I'm going to put it in their hands. Go tell them. Man, I, I got to tell you, I love, I love, I love that God uses flaws and weaknesses to demonstrate his strength and power. That's encouraging for us, is it not? God uses flaws and weaknesses to demonstrate his power. The church has gone on from those 11 guys and is reaching millions upon millions over centuries of time. And it's having its way. The kingdom has come and is coming. Through who? Slick, polished professionals? No. But through the power and the work of, the, of, of Christ himself by his very spirit in the lives of men and women. That's who God's getting this thing done through. Folks, like you and me, broken, flawed. So if you think, ah, I got nothing to offer, I can't do this, that's, that's too big a mandate for me. Yeah, maybe so, but through your brokenness and your, weak, your weakness, God wants to take you to new and fresh places and reveal more depths of your Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit than you ever thought, hoped, or imagined. That's the work we're called to. Ah, Mark, we're not all preachers and evangelists. Yeah, we're not. We're absolutely not. We're not all counselors or teachers. No, we're not. But folks, here's what we all are. We all are rescued and saved. Amen? Amen. We're rescued and saved. God has rescued and saved us. We all have a story. We all have our story. We all have webs of influence. People that we know that other people don't know. People that God has given us um, entree into their, into their life and their world in, in a way that no one else has. Here's what else we have. We all have the ability to pray. All of us can pray. All of us can ask God, God, do a work in the people that I care about. Do a work in the people who are still left where I was, in the broken, desperate place where I was. God, do a work in them only you can do. We can all pray. We all can pray. And here's what else we all have. We all have the very Spirit of God within us. Jesus, very presence and Spirit within us that empowers us to do something and, and things beyond what we ever thought we would ever be possible or capable of. That's the work God's called us to. God has put a mission before us as a people to invite other people to join us on the journey. The resurrection's real, folks. It's real. Jesus is real, and this compels us to live for him in everyday life. This compels us as followers of Jesus to live for him in everyday life. So what does that look like? What does it look like to put this in motion this week? Well, here's what it looks like. It's moving from knowing about it to living it. To, from knowing about it to living it. If you've been around Two Rivers Church for the last year or two, we believe God has put people in our lives, orchestrated events in our lives, that we have, we have an opportunity to, to introduce folks to Jesus like nobody else does. And so we asked God two years ago, God, would you give each of us individually three to five names of people we can be praying for, that God, that you would do a work in them, that you would orchestrate events in their life, people in their life, some people that live nearby, some people live in other states and other countries even. God, we're praying that, God, that you'd have your will accomplished in the lives of other people. We're, we're committed to the, to the work that God's laid before us, that other folks would, would become followers of Jesus by our following and being obedient to him. Hey, what else? How can we live it out this week? I hope you hear it in the, in the phrase. We're going to live it out. We're a people of the word. We're a people of the book. We, we live in the word of God on the weekends, and we live in the word of God in and throughout our daily lives and throughout this week. There's a, a discipleship tool right there in the middle of your bulletin. And if you don't have it in your bulletin, you can go to 2rc.tv slash live it out. And if you're, if you're new to faith, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, a great place for you to step in and join the rest of us, we're living it out. We're stepping into the Word of God and allowing the Spirit of God to speak truth about who He is and, call us, and tell us how to live in, it, in everyday life. 
And you know what else we're going to do? Our next step? Our next step, besides praying for other people by living it out together, we're going to stand right now, right here and across all of our venues, invite you to stand. And Matthew makes it very clear that the king has come. And the king has come, and the king is coming back. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. Let's worship Jesus.